SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. As you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, you do not have the smooth Louisiana stylings of one Matt Miguez. My name, however, is Eric Henry. I am one of the co-managing editors for Underdog Dynasty, and I will be filling in for the guys. Matt, you know, had a couple obligations, same thing with Brian, and first and foremost, want to thank those guys for their contributions throughout the early part of the year. They've been doing a great job with the Sunbelt Pod, and I cannot recommend their work enough as far as both their Georgia Southern coverage and Matt with his Louisiana coverage. Joining me tonight will be a gentleman whose voice you have heard on this podcast has been pinch hitting along the way here for Sunbelt coverage. He is one, the one and only, I should say, Zeke Palermo. Zeke, how's it going today? What's going on, Eric? Glad to be back. Glad to be filling in. Um, you know, ready to talk some Sunbelt football this evening. Yeah, you know, I forgive me. I know I said this evening my time is all messed up. I'm over here chipping in from the West Coast. So even though I'm looking at the screen, it says 205. My body is still on East Coast time. And uh, it it's, feels like it's six o'clock when I Zeke, I got in yesterday at 8am. And uh, by one, I was just like, it's time for bed. You yeah. know, it's, so it's definitely been an adjustment here. But without further ado, I will spare you the rest of my uh, Vegas vacation here and jump into some Sunbelt play. Let's go ahead and kick it off here with the game uh, that took place Friday, last Friday, September 10th. Kansas, the rebuilding Kansas Wildcats, seemingly eternally uh, rebuilding. They took a loss at number 17, Coastal Carolina, by a score of 49 to 17, excuse me, 49 to 22. My mistake there, Grayson McCall. Uh, a 17 to 21, very efficient game. 17 to 21 for 245 yards and two scores. Uh, Jason Bean, the former North Texas quarterback, pretty much held in check. Uh, yeah, I mean, passing wise, he's a guy who look here. He's carries a 13 carries for 102 yards and two scores. You can expect that from a guy who has track athleticism. So there's no shame on the Chanticleers defense for allowing that. But all in all, they really dominated this game. Zeke, what were your takeaways from a very resounding win at home for the Chanticleers? It was. Um... If you look at the box score, obviously 49 to 22, that doesn't scream, hey, Kansas had a good game. But I feel, having watched the game, I felt like Kansas was able to keep it close for a lot more of the game than what the box score indicates. Um, Coastal Carolina had two runs where they went uh, on a 20, 21 to 0 run uh, near the end of the each half, which kind of defined their was that 27 point margin of victory. Yes. Uh, so I, I thought, obviously, Coastal Carolina, I believe they moved up to 17th uh, going into week three. They deserve every mention of that. But I thought uh, the win was not nearly as clean as what the box score may dictate. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I'm just looking at the box score here. Kansas, you know, led at 1.9 to 7. You know, Coastal had a 21-point second quarter that, of course, kind of pulled away with a 14-point fourth quarter. That's a very fair point on your end. Just to shout out some of the other noticeable notables for Coastal Carolina, Reese White with 14 carries for a buck, or 102, I should say, and three touchdowns. And also on the defensive side of the ball, you got to take a look at Josiah Stewart with his three sacks, excuse me, three and a half sacks, three and a half tackles for loss. You know, a guy like him and Jeffrey Gunter, as well as one of the top players in uh, all of Sunbelt defensively. Certainly a nice tandem there for the Chanticleers. Let's go and move into the second game. And this was one, a team that, you know, you know very well, who, of course, you've pitched in on our Georgia Southern coverage in addition with Brian Stone. 
Georgia Southern heads to Boca, or they went to Boca, I should say, and took it on the chin, 38-6. And this is another game, Zeke, that when you talk about the box score, not necessarily telling the entire story, it was 10-6 at halftime. And this was when I had a chance to get pretty much eyes on for the majority of the game, at least until the third quarter before I had to go cover the FIU game, which we'll talk about later as well. And you could make the argument that if Georgia Southern weren't really plagued by you know, some injuries at the quarterback position, Cam Ransom you know, got banged up a little bit in that game. And then, of course, they're missing their uh, planned starter coming to the year as well. Maybe they're able to pick up their second win in as many years against Florida Atlantic. But at the end of the day, a 21-point third quarter spearheaded by Nikosi Perry and his 19-27 for 322 and four touchdowns really did the difference. Uh, Georgia Southern just couldn't get the ball moving offensively. Uh, their trademark is running the ball. And I believe as a team, they hit under 150. Uh, and that just, for that style of football that they play in Statesboro, uh, that's just not going to cut it. Um, they FAU kept them in check. Uh, and just didn't let them play their brand of football. And if the other team's not going to let you play your brand of football, you're going to lose the game. It's simple as that. I want to ask you this, you know, in terms of Georgia Southern, um, any concern that, you know, you look at their quarterback position, again, it's just kind of been in flux with, forgive me, the, the star from last year's name is escaping me right now. I, I saw him last year at FAU. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, the situation just seems to be a little bit kind of, you know, I'm shaky Amari Jones, the former Tulane running back had gotten a couple snaps at quarterback uh, two weeks ago and look appeared that he would get some snaps uh, at quarterback this game. I think he may have taken a couple uh, carries. Is that concerning at all for Georgia Southern? Um, not concerning purely because Justin Tomlin is his name, Thank you. Their, Thank their quarterback, you. purely because as far as. Um, I'm aware he's back next week for their game three. So yeah, you're worried, you know, you'd obviously prefer to have a, some sort of third string or a second string that can next man up, but uh, you've got your guy coming back. So until Tomlin proves like, Hey, maybe we needed to look back to these guys anyway. uh, It's not that big of an issue in my opinion. Let's transition to South Alabama and Bowling Green. And this is another one, Zeke. When you take a look at the score, at least just from as someone who does not cover this league regularly or normally, I was a little bit surprised because USA, they had a resounding win against Southern Miss in week one. And that was a great win for you know that program in terms of kind of just putting to bed the, the idea that last year's win over Southern Miss was somewhat of a fluke. But Listen, Bowling Green is not a good program right now. Anyone who's followed the Falcons over the past five or six years, they're still recovering from the Mike Jinks era and you know trying to get that program back on track. So, yes, they went to Bowling Green in a three-point win. You know, you're never going to be mad at that. But I don't know. I guess coming off of the win against Southern Miss, would have expected more of a resounding victory against a team that, quite frankly, South Alabama is a better program right now than Bowling Green. Yeah. Obviously, like you mentioned, after um, absolutely romping, what are they, the Jaguars, the Southern Myth Jaguars, something like that, um, after romping them, you would have liked to see a better performance against Bowling Green. Um, Obviously, every win is deserved, but USA shouldn't have been in a position in which they, they shouldn't have been in a position to win. Uh, USA turned the, or I'm sorry, Bowling Green turned the ball over with like a minute 20 left in the game on their own 33 instead of just running out the clock. So I think USA, I mean, don't be fooled. They're still, they're not among the Coastal Carolinas of this conference quite yet. Um, but I mean, 2-0 and is a great start for any team. No, no doubt about it. And I don't want to necessarily, you know, kind of 
poo-poo, for lack of a better phrase, on South Alabama's win. I just think as a casual observer, again, when you look at where Bowling Green is, there's no doubt about it that South Alabama is a better position as a program. When you look at the numbers, Jake Bentley goes 29 of 46, 257. Doesn't get in the air, doesn't get a touchdown through the air, excuse me. He does have the one pick. Luckily, you know, Terion Aver and Kareem Walker were able to get the ball in the end zone on the ground. So, yeah, I mean, those things are all fair points you make. And then, really quick, is to clean up something the, the Jaguars of South Alabama, you are correct. Southern Miss, the Golden Eagles. And I only make oh, that correction yeah. because, because, dear God, uh, you know, if this were the Conference USA podcast, we would be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> there is one fan base that makes their voice heard around Underdog Dynasty. That is the folks in Hattiesburg. So, yeah. Um, but luckily, it's the Sunbelt podcast, so they won't catch this. Let's transition to a game that, uh, you know, we'll probably go a little bit long on because I covered it for FI for Underdog Dynasty. FIU at home, looking to go 2-0 and in a game that I affectionately refer to as the Everett Withers Bowl. <laughs> and they're facing his former program at Texas State. Jake Spavita in desperate need of a win. I will go as far as to say, when you look at Jake Spavita's record and what, entering his third year, these two games into his third year, he's only one game better, or excuse me, I should say was only one game better than Everett Withers, was 5-20. and Entering mm-hmm. last week's game, Everett Withers was four and twenty-one. But the fact of the matter is, they avoided zero and two. They got the win. It's a game that, quite frankly, Zeke, when you look at it, and, and I don't know how much this game you had a chance to watch, but FIU really had their chances. I and mean, this is where you got to credit Texas State because they didn't. You know, this game they could have folded. They went up 10-0, and by no stretch of the imagination were they dominating FIU. You know, FIU just didn't. They weren't able to cash in on some chances in the red zone. Then, you know, they give a couple scores. FIU comes out of halftime and goes up, you know, 17 to 10. But then give credit to Texas State. You know, Brock Sturgis, Calvin Hill, those guys, you know, Brady McBride is, is a gamer. I mean, if there's one thing about him, FIU banged him up. You know, I'm looking at his numbers here, he had 13 carries and 53 yards. Every time that Brady McBride carried the ball, FIU defenders put a hit on him. But he is a gamer, just one of those guys that finds a way no matter what to get the victory. And how that game ended, for those of you who didn't see it in overtime, it, it went uh, 17-17 in regulation. And then in overtime, you got to give credit to the Texas State defense. I believe it was Isaiah Wynn, if memory serves me correct. Uh, Isaiah Nixon, sorry, Isaiah Nixon, um, was able to force a strip sack of FIU quarterback Max Bortenschlager. And as you know, in overtime, you get the ball from the 25-yard line, regardless of where the strip sack is. And it was two Brock Sturgis carries who went the entire way, one for 11 and one for 14. He took it to the house. So with that, Zeke, I'll let you opine on FIU and Texas State. Um, I didn't get to catch this game, but between what um, the box score says and reading your coverage, I was left unimpressed by either team's um, offense and incredibly impressed, or rather maybe the defenses got lucky. Um, I think neither team was very efficient on third down. Um, in the first half, from what I saw, there were six straight punts between the two teams, 28 minutes of football, like game time without a score. Um, so I'm curious, is that what happened? Were both offenses really unimpressive as what it may seem to someone who didn't watch the game? Yeah, Zeke, no, you're not wrong. There was a stretch. Uh, I think that was what the second quarter going to the third quarter, I believe, or it might have been third into the fourth. It's escaping me right now, but there absolutely was a stretch where the offense just stalled. Yeah, it was it was definitely third going to the fourth because I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself in the press box, you know, is one team going to go out here and put this game away for FIU? Some of the criticism of Max Bortenschlager from FIU fans and you know from people on on the internet and social media was that 
and Max said this post game, there were some reads that he missed. You know, Butch Davis came out and said post game that while it wasn't the best game that Max played, he was still proud of his quarterback. And Max mm-hmm. came out and said that, hey, you know, thought I had a nice game. You look at his number 17 of 34, has the two touchdowns, 260 something yards passing. But with that being said, missed some crucial reads, Zeke. Uh, again, FIU really had a chance to put this one away in regulation. And that's what happens when you let a team hang around for too long. That's what's going to happen. As far as Texas State's concerned, yeah, um, you know, you got to. I don't necessarily want to be too hard on Brady McBride. I mean, he's a guy, when you look at his numbers last year, I think he had 17 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And his season was really kind of, uh, it, it was a partially truncated season because of COVID, right? He missed that four or five game stretch that he was out, wasn't clear because of COVID. And it really took him some time to kind of get back in the swing of things. So I know there's been some frustration amongst the Bobcat faithful in terms of getting the consistency out of him, but he was going up against a really good FIU secondary. And yeah, that offense did really stall at times. But like I said, you know, when you're a gamer like him, you make enough plays when it matters and he helped this team get into overtime. And again, you know, credit Brock Sturgis um, and the receiver whose name is escaping me right now. The uh, number one guy, uh, um, uh, Barbie, um, Marcel Barbie. Thank you. Marcel Marcel Barbie uh, had a nice afternoon as well. So, uh, again, kudos to Jake Bevaton, Texas State, because that was a win that they sorely needed. It would not have been good for them, you know, to kind of go back to San Marcos 0-2, entering, you know, again, in his third season, and you lose to your predecessor, who's the D.C. at FIU. So, good win overall for the Bobcats. Now we'll go ahead and transition to Liberty and Troy. Uh, I don't know how you felt, Zeke, but this one surprised me. I want to kind of get your thoughts first before I opine. By no means am I calling Troy a slouch. You know, having to go to Troy at home, it's not an easy ask. But when you're talking about Liberty, we're essentially talking about the cream of the crop. And now, if you want to consider them cream of the crop a G5, <laughs> you know, yeah. you can play around with that, right? It depends on where you want to consider Liberty. But when right. you have a guy like Malik Willis, who is going to be in the Heisman race, a little bit surprising that the score was as close as it was. Yeah, I was thoroughly impressed by Troy's defense this week. Uh, held Liberty to only 21, which is, I mean, that's a great defensive performance. Um, and they were penetrating that backfield, the Liberty backfield, like it was nobody's business. I think as a team, five sacks and 10 tackles for loss. Uh, Will Cholo, I believe is his name. One of their um, defensive playmakers had two and a half of those sacks and four tackles for loss. So uh, watching the game again, like you said, it was a bit surprising. Liberty, depending on where you rank these two teams, obviously, but Liberty is definitely one step ahead of Troy as a G5 team. So it was surprising to see it this close and uh, bodes well for Troy moving forward. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I completely agree with you. You know, wherever you want to rank Liberty, that's up to you. But you look at the talent on the roster, they get, you know, Deron Lowe is a guy who played well at UTEP and transferred over. Again, you get the drop down from Auburn and Malik Willis, Javon Scruggs. I mean, they have a ton of talent on that team. So I don't think there's any doubt that Liberty is in the, the race to potentially be undefeated this year. So the fact that Troy pushed them is definitely a credit to them. Let's go ahead to Jonesboro, Arkansas. And Arkansas State, they pushed Memphis pretty hard. Yeah, definitely, you know, what you'd expect there in terms of uh, two high-powered offenses. And James Blackman, I, I definitely want your thoughts on the Arkansas State quarterback situation. It's one that, in the effort of full disclosure, I haven't had a chance to watch as much as I would have liked. I, I've had a chance to watch Arkansas State from the time they played FIU in the Camellia Bowl a couple of years ago when it was uh, Lane Hatcher and, oh, come on, the other quarterback that's escaping right now who went to Utah State, Logan Bonner was at a, a at Arkansas and Arkansas State now is at Utah State. Um, 
And that quarterback situation is interesting. You get James Blackman, the former Florida State transfer, a guy that I've had a chance to watch pretty closely, being the Sunshine State. And, you know, he throws for four touchdowns. Lane Hatcher, it's 276 and one touchdown as well. But just not enough defensive play to hold off the Tigers. So, Zeke, what you got on this one? Uh, this game, uh, in terms of Arkansas State's performance, is what I think solidifies why people call the Sun Belt the Fun Belt. There's, <laughs> there's this recognized brand of football where it's, we're going to let you score as many points as you want, but you've got to catch up with us. Um, and Memphis was able to just stay one step ahead of Arkansas State. You mentioned the quarterback situation. Blackman only came in, I believe, in the third quarter. I don't think it was like a switching off snaps kind of situation. Blackman came in and in the third and threw four touchdowns on four drives, uh, which I don't know if Butch Jones knew that that switch was going to work or if he just didn't like what he was seeing. But I think that'll be a story to watch going into week three now is does Blackman keep that job over Hatcher? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good point you make there in terms of, you know, Lane Hatcher, the guys on the veteran and, Lane Hatcher began his career at Alabama, you know, then dropped down to quote unquote, dropped down to the uh, G5 level at Arkansas State and had a really good rapport with the previous coaching staff. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see uh, what happens as far as that situation. But you mentioned James Blackman goes 19 of 28 for 306, pushing the ball downfield. If you look at the QBR numbers, uh, whatever stock you put into that, James Blackman had a QBR of 93-3, Lane Hatcher 52-3. So Definitely something to keep an eye on for Butch Jones down there in Jonesboro. Let's go ahead to Matt Miguez country, Louisiana. I apologize, Matt, for that whatever accent that was that I slid into. I promise it won't happen again. But uh, Louisiana, they get pushed by Nichols. I, I almost called them Nichols State because that's what I know them. But the the, uh, uh, col- the Colonials, excuse me, push Louisiana to three-point victory. You know, Louisiana wins 27-24, furious fourth quarter there the 14-3 that Nichols outscored Louisiana but all in all what you got on this one here when you take a look at uh, Nichols and almost at Nichols State again got to stop that Nichols and Louisiana Z. so I mean nobody's gonna sugarcoat it three points over an FCS team is not gonna cut it especially for a Louisiana team that was preseason ranked I believe 20 23 24 in the AP preseason three points over this kind of team is not gonna cut it um like we've talked about with other games, you know, you can't look at the scoreline and tell the entire story of the game. ULL was up by as much as 17 at one point, so they were in control for a good portion of this game and let it slip near the end. But we we got to start talking about what's going on there, Billy Napier. Do you do we need to make a change uh, offensively, defensively, or at the top? Um, this another, I believe they play Ohio, Miami of Ohio uh, next week. ULL does and. Um, another disappointing performance like this, like they had against Nichols, just is not going to fly for the Cajuns. Yeah, well, I mean, when you take a look, and the thing that really kept Nichols in this game was receiver Dejon Dixon. And he's a guy who is getting NFL looks, you know, certainly a, a player. And look at his size at, you know, looking at a 6'4", 215 pounds. And in that ball game, he has 14 carries, excuse me, 14 receptions for 198 yards and two touchdowns. So certainly no slouch. I'm taking a look here. And he's someone who holds the, the um, program record for uh, catches for 100-yard games. And it's called a pass in 42, 42 straight games. So, yes, it's something, Zeke, as you mentioned, in terms of taking a look at the defensive situation there. But clearly, Mr. Dixon's been doing that to a lot of defenses in his career with uh, Nichols. But uh, let's yeah. go and transition into uh, App State and Miami here. You know, uh, 
this was one that, quite frankly, I got to admit, is who lives in the Sunshine State and, you know, I had a, uh, I don't want to say a, a, a rooting interest, but a vested interest in this game. Miami wins 25 to 23. Definitely wanted App State to get a, get the upset there. But yeah, what did, tell me what you, uh, what you kind of took away from App State and Miami. So App State, um, talking about ULL and their preseason expectations, App State, you know, was kind of that third Sunbelt team. You got Coastal, you've got ULL, and then you've got App State. Um, so this right here just kind of proves to us that App State's legit. Miami, um, you know, storied, storied school, their ups and their downs, what have you. Um, I don't know. This just to me confirms App State's a legit contender for ranking not- notability and just Sunbelt silverware themselves. Just remind of things, I think, when you take a look at the, the box score here, A, two-point victory. Again, it's not like they blew App State out of the water, and I'd say that's expected, but Derek King is a hell of a playmaker at quarterback, and you're able to hold him to no scores as a passer or a rusher. 200 yards, I mean, you know, fairly pedestrian day, pedestrian day excuse me, uh, through the air, and then the 79 yards on the ground. So that is just my big takeaway is that they're really able to keep, keep him in check, and there aren't a lot of ACC, almost at AAC there, ACC programs that are doing that as well. So, um, And the final game we got to take a look at here is Georgia State and North Carolina, and this is one that listen, Tar Heels, they were ranked in the top, I believe, top 20 entering the year. Sam Howell is a preseason Heisman candidate, and he really showed why. You know, it was 21-29 for 352 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and then adds 104 yards as a rusher and two scores. I think my big thing here, and I'm definitely going to let you take away from the Georgia State perspective, Cornelius Brown, Quad Brown, he's a guy who I've had my eyes on really for the past year and a half now. And, you know, again, it's against North Carolina, so you don't want to grade him too harshly, but did not have a good day at all. It... I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I watched this game in its entirety. The others, I kind of skimmed around just because GSU is my what I cover for the uh, underdog dynasty. It was a tough watch. Um, when you've got these high-scoring games and this clock is always stopping because the ball, they're throwing the ball so much, it was just a tough game to watch. Um, Georgia State was outclassed in every phase of the ball. There were some highlights. I feel like their rush defense was – solid despite allowing Sam Howell to rush for I think 140 or 120 um special teams they were solid but I this is not what I think anybody expected from Georgia State to not even be competitive in their first two games obviously UNC like you mentioned they're a ranked team they're a very good team Sam Howell is my pick for the Heisman this year but uh, they just did there was nothing to be happy about in this game for the Panthers I want to ask you this, Zeke, before we transition to our midsection. You look at Sean Elliott, you know, three bowl games in five years, certainly nothing to sneeze at in terms of Georgia State and coming off the six and four record last year in 2020. What's your measure of disappointment, the fact that starting this year 0-2? It's like if we're going on a scale to 1 to 10, 10 being we need to change everything with the program, I'm sitting at about a four. Um they are the Georgia State's played two tough teams, UNC and Army. Um, those are no, as you the term you've been using, they're no slouch, neither program is. So, there's hope to be had when the in conference schedule comes around. But, like you mentioned, Quad Brown, he just hasn't been doing it. Destin Coates, the running back, um, both Coates and Quad Brown, in my opinion, 
um, are the best at their position in school history. Um, so to see neither of them really able to get it clicking through two games and with no hope of it getting better, no, oh, this was a bright spot, it, it's very, very difficult to hold your head high uh, if you're watching the Panthers. Before we get into next week's slate for the Sun Belt, something rather curious happened at the UM App State game. And for those of you listening who have not seen, I recommend put it into your Google machine or Twitter or however you want to search for it. It is the most Miami thing that you would expect at a football game, a cat. Somehow, I don't know if that cat dropped or just made it a leap for it, but they... Uh, a cat was falling from the sky from the upper deck of Hard Rock Stadium, which, as you can imagine, you know, this is not a not to the falling from the upper deck of any stadium is a good thing, but it's not, you know, falling from a, a high school stadium, right? It's a rather high leap. Um, so the good news is the cat was safe. For all we know, all intents and purposes, the cat is safe. It was, and again, in the most Miami thing imaginable, caught by a group of fans who were holding a wide American flag. And uh, that's got me to thinking, Zeke, of bizarre things that I have seen covering games in my four years with UDD and covering games in Conference USA. Two things come to mind. The one, the first one was a, and this one was unintentionally bizarre. Mm -hmm. I covered the 2019 Outback Bowl, not Outback Bowl, tries again. Uh, same stadium as the Outback Bowl, the Bad Boy Moore's Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> ah, so you said prestigious. being a Tampa native, first thing that comes to mind is the Tampa Bowl against Outback Bowl. But mm -hmm. how can I forget the legendary name of the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl? But the reason I mentioned that is because Bad Boy Mowers, the sponsor of the game, decided to have two people race on a mower. And, you know, just in between, you know, at least third quarter and fourth. And I don't know what happened if one of the mowers was rigged, but they could not get the thing to stop. Like, you know, it was one of those riding mowers. And they yeah, tried yeah. to get the girl off of it, right? She kept hitting the brake. And to the point where she had to make a last-minute turn away from the back line of the end zone. So if she wouldn't stop, she was going to crash. And she just kind of kept going in circles because it wouldn't stop. And finally, they got one of the, the you know, people who coordinate the program to kind of just go there and just pull her off. But then they had to get security to stop the thing somehow. So they just put, like, this barricade in front of it and, and managed to navigate it towards the tunnel. But... That was bizarre. And I think the second thing was, again, bowl games, man, they, they get weird. The uh, same year, 2019 Camellia Bowl between FIU and Arkansas State that I referenced, um, there was a legitimate dumpster fire that was lit in one of the neighborhoods behind wow. uh, the uh, Crampton Bowl. And, you know, for uh, that was just unique to see a legit dumpster on fire <laughs> behind the stadium. That was bizarre. Uh, Zeke, uh, you have anything? I know you, uh, you are you know, very young in your journalistic career, and I'm sure we circle back in 10 years, you'll have all kinds of stories. But anything you can think of, whether as a fan, a spectator, you know, covering a game that's just been like, oh. That's There's been cool. nothing really special um, in games that I've covered, obviously. I mean, that was really just, you know, high school stuff. But I – and honestly, this isn't even football, but one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen – um, was at a triple-A baseball game, and they get funky in the minor leagues. No doubt about it. Um, you know, the Washington Nationals, they have their president's race. Um, the Atlanta Braves have their beat the freeze, who's an Olympic-level sprinter, and you just got to beat him in a race. But the Atlanta Braves triple-A affiliate, the Gwinnett Stripers, have a beat the fridge, a 300-pound man who will beat anybody in a race without question. The dude can just book it. 
it's ridiculous. And seeing a man of that size, the size of a defensive tackle, uh, think a man Vince Wilfork's size, beating you in a foot race over um, from foul pole to foul pole. So while not necessarily football related, I mean, seeing that was just quite, quite literally a, an eye-opening experience. Listen, if we start including the minor leagues and regardless of the sport, <laughs> things are going to start getting uh, funky. You got to find a way to bring people into the ballpark yeah. and stay at the minor league level. So uh, I'm sure our friend Emily Van Buskirk, who hosts the uh, AAC podcast, she actually worked for uh, the, come on, Peoria is the Cardinals. They're the Cardinals single A affiliate in Peoria. Okay. Her and I actually uh, spent some time together up there and, uh, yeah. <laughs> she actually, so I was there um, interning, you know, when I was in grad school and she was there working for Peoria for the Chiefs. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, uh, the, <laughs> the in-game entertainment was unique to say the least. Yep. But uh, with that, Zeke, let's go ahead and transition to the next week of play here. Let's start off with, again, the fighting Matt Miguez's Louisiana. They'll be at home taking on the Ohio Bobcats. That game is at 8 o'clock and can be seen on ESPN. Zeke, uh, what's your take on Ohio and Louisiana? Louisiana's going to win this game, I think. I mean, that's the end of the story when it comes to the spread or whatever you want to take in that regard. But um, after only narrowly beating Nichols, you got to wonder, can a team as good as, good as, with air quotes, Miami of Ohio, can they keep this an equally competitive game as Nichols did? And uh if they can, like I mentioned earlier, Billy Napier, what's uh, what's going on down there, man? Let's transition to Saturday to lead off Saturday's slate at noon Eastern, the number 16 Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Take a trip north to western New York or northern New York, depending on you know what you consider Buffalo, but they'll take on the Buffalo Bulls. I had to say that slowly to make sure I did not say the Bills because I knew yep. I would say the Bills. Uh, Coastal and Buffalo, what you got, Zeke? Um, I mean, like ULL and Ohio, Miami, Ohio, it's going to be coastal. Um, there's no real doubt about it. Buffalo is a very good team, and they will stomp over some of these smaller group of and FCS programs. But uh, they played Nebraska last week, lost 28-3. to um, So something, something very similar to that. Won't look good for the Bulls. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you as well. And that game can be seen on ESPN2 ESPN and the Watch ESPN app. At 3.30 Eastern, the Phoenix of Elon head to App State in Boone, North Carolina to take on App State Mountaineers. Uh, this one can be seen on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I don't see any reason why App State won't roll. What do you think, Z? I, to be entirely honest, I didn't know Elon had a football team. Uh, <laughs> just So this this after their loss to Miami, I think this will be a good back-and-form game for App State. Shout out to my former high school teammate, Steve Kovach, who played for the Elon Phoenix. That's the only reason I know that they <laughs> have a football team. At 4 o'clock Eastern, Georgia Southern heads to Arkansas. Fayetteville take on number 20 Razorbacks. Surprise, quite frankly, in my opinion, that the Razorbacks have gotten such a good start considering where they've kind of been over the past few years. That game can be seen on the ESPN network. Zeke, can Georgia Southern pull off the upset? Probably not. Uh, I think that... Arkansas is a very strong rush defense. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, George Southern loves to run the ball. So uh, with a rush defense that's only allowing 110 yards per game, they're just not going to be able to create any form of offense, I don't believe. 
At 4.15 Eastern, the Red Wolves of Arkansas State will take a trip to the Pacific Northwest to take on Washington. That game can be seen on the Pac-12 network. Uh, I'll go ahead and, you know, put a, take a flyer on Arkansas State, Zeke. When you look at Washington, you come into this game 0-2, and, and I believe they lost to Montana, if memory serves me correct, in opening week. I'll have to go back and, and check that as you're kind of giving your synopsis. Uh, yeah, I think it was an opening day loss, 13-7. to there's no reason, in my opinion, why Arkansas State can't go to Seattle and get a victory. I completely agree. Um, ESPN lists the spread on this. Washington is 16 and a half point favorites. I, I frankly just don't understand that. Um, Arkansas State, uh, obviously they lost last week, but um, can Washington keep up with that offense? I think not. Um, I guess these guys in Vegas think that they can, but I think this could be a, a two-plus touchdown win for Arkansas State. Again, you and I are in complete agreement. Let's go ahead and get to the nightcap. The 49ers of Charlotte, Will Healy's squad coming in 2-0 after a pair of really good wins, especially you know for Charlotte, a very uh, important win. In-state robbery there with Duke. They'll head to Atlanta to take on Georgia State. Uh, Zeke, what's the name of that stadium down there? I just know it as, as Turner Field. What's the name of the, uh, the so renovated Turner Field? Uh, it's Center Park Stadium, uh, sponsored by Center Park. Who they are, not quite sure. But uh, I think everyone still just calls it Turner Field. <laughs> That's what I would think. That game is at 7 o'clock Eastern. can be seen on ESPN+. Plus. Zeke, you will be in attendance. So um, if you do not want to make a pick, you can. You can save it for either game preview or uh, just you know kind of take a, a pass on making a pick. But what do you have on that game overall? Uh, you you got to win this if you're Georgia State. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, it, your past two games have been very poor. Charlotte is significantly worse than unc but they're by no means a bad team so they're going to put up a fight but the, this is as close as it gets to a must win in these early season games uh for georgia state i will make a prediction on that game give me charlotte only because of the way georgia state has started the year and as you mentioned very much a must win game for sean elliott's team but i think just as important for will healy's team to maintain the momentum for Will Healy. He's someone who's trying to kind of build back the momentum that he had with Charlotte in 2019, get them to their first bowl game and doesn't want to, you know, have a slip up against a quote unquote lesser opponent in Georgia state. Although both teams are probably evenly matched uh, for Georgia state fans who are listening. Keep an eye on Chris Reynolds and Victor Tucker. That's going to be the duo. If the Panthers are going to have a chance at uh, getting a victory. Yeah. Also at seven o'clock Eastern, the Trojans of Troy will head to Hattiesburg take on Southern Miss at the Rock, M.M. Roberts Stadium. That game can be seen on ESPN+. Zeke, what's your thoughts on that uh, that contest? I am personally really high on Southern Miss. I think they're a very good team for their level of football. But Troy just absolutely – they kept up with Liberty, which was, as we talked earlier, pretty impressive. And USM was smacked by, US, uh, by USA two weeks ago. So I, I think – we're just going to be looking at two distinct levels of football uh, with Troy being on the higher plane between the two. Yeah. You know what? I'm inclined to agree. When you look at Southern Miss, as you mentioned, they got smacked around by USA, but I will say this, Will Hall, who, you know, maybe it's the pressure of being home as a home state guy from Mississippi said that he's the biggest fraud in 50 years, which, you know, You'd love to see every head coach be as transparent and honest and vulnerable as fix those quotes, although he's not, the uh, mm -hmm. biggest fraud of 50 years. I'm sure we can think of many things much yeah. more fraudulent than him. Uh, I'm expecting him to really not want to lay an egg at home again. So that's one that if uh, I'm picking this one, I'm going to take the Golden Eagles. 
Also at 7 p.m., the Bobcats of Texas State return home following, again, that much-needed win over FIU. They take on Incarnate Word. That one can be seen on ESPN3. Zeke, quite frankly, Jake Spavitaugh cannot afford any type of slip-up after getting that win. So give me Texas State. Um, this will be tough. I think okay. uh, Incarnate Word obviously is um, – they're no – superstar fcs team or they're no standout in the group of five but they play like i mentioned earlier with um arkansas state a very try and catch up type of football like we're gonna kind of play defense but we're just gonna score every time we have the football and i personally don't trust the texas state um offense to keep them in the game um i I just think that it's going to be a shootout and it'll fall to Incarnate Ward. Um, obviously, definitely an upset, but that's just what my gut's telling me about this game. Let's go and take a trip to Louisiana Monroe. This one has some interesting storylines. We could almost call this one, you know, in honor of the late Bobby Bowden, the Bobby Bowden moment. Mm-hmm. You look at, you know, Terry Bowden at Louisiana Monroe and then uh, Jackson State, coached by Deion Sanders. That game is at 8 p.m. Eastern, can be seen on ESPN. Three, a very intriguing game because, as Sun Belt fans know, Duel Monroe definitely been rebuilding over the past few years. And Jackson State, since Deion's got there, for all of you know the hoopla that comes with Deion Sanders coaching your team, he has improved the talent level up well on you know at the FCS level and for an HBCU team. Yep. It's it's incredible in the things that they've been able to do in the you know year and a half that Deion's had the job. What are your thoughts, Ethan, on this one? This will be a testament to the strength of the Sun Belt as a whole. Um, ULM, like you mentioned, they're very much bottom of the barrel Sun Belt football. They're bottom of the barrel FBS football. Um, there's not a ton to love there right now. And Jackson State, their premier, what are they, Southwest Athletic Conference? I think the SWAC. The SWAC, correct. Yep. So it, this will be a testament to the power gap between FBS and FCS between group of five and the premier FCS teams. Absolutely. Definitely keep an eye on that one. Again, eight o'clock at ES, eight o'clock on ESPN three and rounding out the slate. We've got Alcorn state, another HBCU taking on USA. As we mentioned, South Alabama, you know, getting two, uh, two victories there to open the year. So really, again, can't really afford a slip up. Um, I expect USA to win, but, Alcorn State definitely, uh, you know, they have a history of pulling off some upsets, but we'll see what happens. Zeke, what are your thoughts on that one? Now, USA's got this one. Like you mentioned, Alcorn is a history of pulling off some wins. Did they beat Georgia Tech recently, or is that a different school I'm thinking of? I believe that what they did a couple years ago, if memory serves me correct. Okay, so, I mean, they've got the history of it, and but USA is going to win this one, uh, barring an act of God or what have you. But the real question is, obviously, now USA starts 3-0. Are they legitimate? Are they a legit Sunbelt team? Are they a legit college football team? And a win against Alcorn doesn't help their argument that, hey, we're actually a good team as opposed to we've just won three games. And really quick before we close this podcast, one note on Alcorn State that I think is worth noting for Sunbelt fans who may not know this. And Zeke, you may not have caught this as well. I do remember seeing this. I don't remember who was first reported in the Athletic or USA Today, so my apologies on the attribution. Alcorn State had to practice, had to cancel practice twice this week because they do not have, at the time, an athletic training staff. That's not to make fun of Alcorn State. That just goes to show you the position that they're in. So 
if there's any game that USA cannot afford to lose, it is this game. As a matter of fact, quite frankly, as we're taping this on Thursday afternoon slash evening, depending on which coast you're on, um, there may actually be some reason to wonder if that game's going to be played. Because as I mentioned before, you know, they have not had a uh, athletic trainer, an athletic uh, full-time staff. Um, they've had some guys filling in, some people filling in, I should say, but um, they've had some, you know, some people uh, not there, not available. So keep an eye yeah. on that as well. Um, but with that, I want to say thank you to Mr. Zeke Palermo for filling in this. I would not be able to get through the Sunbelt podcast without him. So Zeke, thank you. And of course, you can find his Sunbelt coverage at Underdog Dynasty and his Georgia State coverage there as well. Zeke, uh, where can the folks find you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, just at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. It's uh, where all my stories go when they're posted and, uh, you know, try to cover some of the games, noteworthy noteworthy events from all the Sunbelt games. Uh, go on there, um, just on Twitter, at Zeke Palermo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, you can find Underdog Dynasty at Underdog Dynasty. You can find this podcast at all podcast platforms, but primarily Apple Podcasts. Please, the only way we can help this podcast grows by reviews. So please, if you feel inclined, leave us a review and we welcome all feedback, good, bad, or otherwise. The bad feedback, you can send it to me. The good feedback, send it to Zeke. Uh, I can take it. <laughs> With that, we want to thank you for listening. Happy football watching, everybody, and stay safe. Bye.